excited to be here. <laughs> After that video, is anybody excited about Christmas? Come on, somebody. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here again. And uh, man, we are excited. This Saturday is our fall festival, and it's going to be a day that's cram-packed full of good stuff. Because as you heard on Saturday morning, we're going to be meeting at our new church location, what's going to be our permanent location, and we're going to be doing some projects there. And so anybody that's available uh, will be there for three or four hours that morning and doing some stuff there. And then that afternoon into the evening, starting at four o'clock, we're going to have our fall festival. And so you'll want to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so bring all your kids and uh, bring your family. We're going to have a really good time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, today... Um, if you've been through Next Steps, uh, how many of you been through Next Steps? Let me see your hand. Lots of you. Some of you just went through it last week, last weekend. If you've been through Next Steps, you know that a part of our structure as a church is we have what we call overseers. And these are uh, uh, some men and pastors and ministry leaders that, that kind of oversee the church, oversee me and uh, our relationships that I have. And today we have the honor. Some of you, uh, he's been here a couple of times in the past over the last couple of years. So some of you are familiar with him. Uh, and some of you that are new to our church won't be familiar with him, but I promise you, you're going to like him. Uh, I'm building him up right now in Jesus' name. You're going to like him. It's going to be an incredible word. I believe God's going to speak something to you. This is uh, Doug Reed here with Partnership Ministries, and he is one of our overseers. So will you please put your hands together and help me welcome to the stage my friend, Doug Reed. Amen. Let's give it up for your pastor. Don't you love Pastor Gabe and Amanda? Wow. Well, it's so much fun to be with you guys today, and I know that God is going to speak to our hearts. Uh, a lot of you were at the leadership thing last night, and I'll tell you one of the great ways you can tell whether or not a church is healthy is by taking a look at their leaders. And I mean, you know, God's doing great things through Impact Church. Amen? So we, we are uh, big fans of what God is doing here, and uh, really privileged to be a part of it. Like Pastor Gabe was saying, I head up a ministry called Partnership Ministries, and uh, I speak in conferences all over the country. We're in different churches every week, and uh, one of the things we do is we have an international arm. Uh, it's called Partnership International. In fact, you can go to pitrips.com or just Google Partnership International, and it will come up. And uh, we take missions trips to uh, needy places. We've we've uh, taken about 200 people or 200 teams uh, on on trips over the last 15 years, about five to five to six thousand people. And um, you guys are actually going to be a part of one of those next year. We have been uh, working with an orphanage in an area called Christiana, Jamaica. It's in a parish called Manchester that is a really poor area of Jamaica. Like most of the Caribbean, the resorts are on the edge. You go a few miles in and there's poverty. And this is about two hours into the interior of the country. Uh, our ministry uh, took over an orphanage about three years ago that was going under. And now it's thriving with like 50 kids. We've done a lot of building projects there, a bunch of other things. And you guys are going to get to be a part of that and some other things that God's doing in Jamaica. So I'd encourage you to pray about that. There's information. It's either available this week or to be available next week. And, uh, and, and, and God willing, I'll actually be able to be on the trip with you all. So who's, who wants to go to Jamaica, man? All right. All right. Very cool. Very cool. That's our whole team right there. So very awesome. Well, Today I want to talk to you about the heart. In fact, the title of my message is The Bridge of the Heart. And we're going to talk about how 
our heart can be like a bridge. Everybody say a bridge uh, that God can use to get us from where we are to where he wants us to be. I want everybody to do this right here. Just go ahead and put your hand on your heart. Now, hopefully underneath that, you can feel a heartbeat. If you can't, we really need to talk after service and find out what's up with your zombie self. But uh, hopefully you feel a heartbeat. Can I tell you that God never gives out one of these without giving out a purpose? Amen? If you've got a heartbeat, then you have a purpose. And, and, and you may not know it, but your heart is actually the key to your destiny. The way God uses a person is he always starts with the heart. So we're going to talk about that this morning, and I'm going to use uh, the story of David and Goliath as a little bit of a backdrop. We're going to talk about that familiar story in the Bible, uh, but from the standpoint of the heart. God chose David because of his heart. Now, anytime I do a message on David and Goliath, I've I preached on this topic uh, several times over the years. Uh, I am always very aware that this is a very familiar story. In fact, there's actually been some studies done on this, and they, they say that the story of David and Goliath is by far the most well-known story in all of the Bible. Even people that have never heard of Jesus know of this story of a boy that killed a giant. So we're amazingly familiar with the story. I almost feel like a comedian that's been given a bunch of jokes and told that I have to make a bunch of other comedians laugh with these really familiar jokes because we all think we know everything there is to know about that story. But hopefully I'm going to be able to point out some stuff to you that you haven't heard. Well, instead of reading the text today, since you know it so well, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little help. I, I found a video online of somebody who does a much better job reading the story of David and Goliath than I do. So just before I preach, I want you to watch this video. Goliath was a giant. He can fight God's people. The soldiers don't want to fight Goliath. He's too big and strong. But a boy named David was not afraid. He prayed to God. Mm. So much better, so much better. Well, maybe maybe it's appropriate that we start today by having a child read the story of David and Goliath because a child has a pure heart. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the story of David, but from the standpoint of the purity of his heart. Well, as you study the life of David, and, the, and there is more scripture devoted to David than any other character in all of the Bible, you will find out that he's a fierce warrior, that he's a skilled leader, that he takes Israel to places that no other leader ever did. But that is not why God chose David. That's not why God was drawn 
to young David. Now, God was drawn to David's heart. God chose David because of the purity of his heart. And David's heart became like a bridge that took him from where he was all the way to the kingdom of Israel, all the way to where God wanted him to be. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16.9 that the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts, everybody say hearts, are fully committed to him. And the American Standard says whose hearts are perfect towards him. When David's predecessor Saul disobeyed God, the Bible uh, says this, that the prophet said through Samuel to Saul, it said, now your kingdom must end, but the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, speaking of David. That is repeated in Acts 13, 22. God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart heart and he will do everything I've called him to do when God calls a person he always starts with the heart because we know this if the heart is wrong then how many of you know nothing else can be right in fact I've discovered in my own life that gifts are actually cheap they are a dime a dozen I mean you know people that are gifted right there's gifts everywhere but a pure heart that is a rare thing and in fact a promotion is in your life when you do not have the right heart can actually be a dangerous thing. When David was about to be anointed to be the king of Israel, Samuel said this. He said, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge with outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? He looks at the heart. Now, before we dive in any deeper, we have to answer kind of a not-so-obvious question, and that is, what is the heart? Well, we know that, first off, the heart is an organ that pumps blood through your body. Doctors tell us that it's about the size of the human fist, and yet it will pump the equivalent of about 2,000 gallons of blood throughout your body. It gives life all the way down to your toenails, to the tips of your hair. If your heart stopped beating for just a few seconds, you would pass out. If your heart started beating for just a few minutes, you would die. I mean, you know, you can't fulfill your destiny until you have a right heart. You've got to have a good functioning heart. Now, What's amazing about the heart is we know that it is more than physical. In fact, if you came to Impact Church this morning and, and I don't know, or maybe you're watching online and, and you just kind of, you know, got on the wrong website or jumped on the wrong bus or somebody talked you into coming to church or whatever, and you might say, well, Pastor Doug, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus or any of this stuff. Well, let's have some common ground this morning because I know that you believe in the heart. I bet you, even if you're not a spiritual person, that you still want want to live from your heart. Everybody seems, uh, from secular to, to, to Christians to whoever, we all kind of romanticize and spiritualize the heart. We know in the depths of our soul that the heart is the essence of who we really are. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the very springs of life. You can't have the life that God wants you to have until you have the heart that God wants you to have. Now, I found this. I thought this was amazing. They say that the heart's electromagnetic field is 5,000 times stronger than that of your brain. 
Now, I, I don't know, but for me, that kind of speaks to me like this. I, I think if you want to get to your destiny 5,000 times faster, then let God transform your heart instead of trying to think your way into a better life. Amen? God wants you to live not just from your mind, but he wants you to live from your heart. And when we read the story in 1 Samuel 17, these 58 famous verses in the Bible, we are not so much moved in our minds, rather we are moved in our hearts. Now, I, I, I've heard some other speakers say we need to be cautious about the story of David because sometimes we can kind of over-apply it. And I'm always David, and everything I'm facing in my life is Goliath. And, and I even heard one popular speaker say over and over again, you're not David, and your life is not Goliath. And I, and I kind of understand what they're saying. I get that. But my argument back to them would be this. Who would not want to be like David? When I read the story of 1 Samuel 17, I have a heart reaction. And I believe the Holy Spirit knew that. When the Holy Spirit decided to include the story of a boy killing a giant, I believe that God knew that we would want to kill giants too. That we would want to be like that. Amen? I believe that God knew that we would be moved in our hearts. But the problem with our approach is we focus on the wrong thing. We dream about having a big moment and being a warrior, but God dreams about us having a pure heart. See, God's eyes are not searching throughout the whole earth for somebody who has great skill, our bravery, our ambition. No, no, God is searching for somebody who has the right heart. David himself wrote this in Psalm 24. He said, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. In other words, God's blessing are de is dependent upon the condition of your heart. Now, in my own life, I have discovered this truth painfully so. I, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God or how long you've been serving Christ, but if you've been serving God for longer than a day or so, I bet that he has begun to deal with you about the area of your heart. And I've discovered in my own life that God is willing to go as far as he has to go, as long as it takes to be as extreme as he has to, to transform the condition of my heart. I actually came face to face with this about four years ago. About four years ago, I was pastoring a successful church, and, and, and God was doing great things. They were giving me a lot of freedom. I was still traveling, and God began to deal with me about resigning my church and going back on the road full time. And so I, I finally, after several months of praying about it, submitted to it and said, God, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my church and I'm going to go back on the road full time. And, and, and I no more than prayed that. And God spoke to me. And he said, that's really good, but you're not ready. And I thought, I'm not ready. Why would you ask me to, to resign my church? You dealt with me about it for months. And now I'm submitting to it. And you tell me the timing's off or I'm not ready. And God spoke to me and he said, well, son, you're, you're ready in a gifting standpoint, but you're not ready in the area of your heart. Well, immediately I got confused. 
You know, the Bible talks about how the heart is wicked and who can know it. The heart is like like a deep cave that's got caverns and unexplored territory. The heart, uh, to, to go off of the series you guys have been in, the heart is like a monster, isn't it? I mean, I mean, do you grab an ankle? Do you bite an elbow? I mean, I mean, how do you attack, attack this thing? And, and so I, I went into a quest for almost a year of just praying and saying to God, What's wrong with my heart? Now remember, I'm pastoring, I'm loving people, I'm loving Jesus. I, it's not like I'm out, you know, partying every night or something. I mean, I mean I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but God keeps telling me there's something wrong with your heart. Finally, one day I had prepared a sermon for the following Sunday. It was a Wednesday afternoon, and whenever I write... Uh, I, I kind of look like the guy in the beautiful mind. I, I've got, I don't know, it's just the way I do it. I got stuff taped on my wall, and I got sometimes two or three computers open and books open and just all kinds of stuff. And I got done, and, and my office was just crazy looking like that. And I thought it looked kind of awesome. And so I, I lied to myself. I didn't know it at the time, but we have an amazing capacity for self-deception, don't we? I lied to myself and I said to myself, I said, I, I really want people to come to church on Sunday. I want them to see how cool the sermon's going to be. Well, really what I wanted them to see is how cool I was. So I didn't even realize I was doing it. But I grabbed my phone and I, I took about 10 pictures from different angles. I'm embarrassed to say that I actually walked over to my bookshelf, got books I wasn't even using, put them on my desk so it would look even better. And then I edited the picture, and I put something like, going to be great this Sunday, and I was about to send it out to everybody on Facebook. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but it was just one word. He said, see. And when he said, see, what he was saying was, see what I mean? See, see how your heart is wrong? And I, I don't know, it's just three letters, but it destroyed me. And I remember I got down next to the couch in my office. I erased the picture. I felt so stupid. I felt so exposed. And I said, God, I act like I want to make you famous, but I really want to make me famous. It was kind of like a check engine light. All of a sudden, it had probably been on for a long time. But I had never paid attention to it until that moment. Anybody have a check engine light in your car? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you hate check engine lights? I would pay extra for a car without a check engine light. If you know how to turn off check engine lights, I will pay you $1,000 to disable my check engine light. Because whenever it comes on, my car's still running fine, but I take it to Honda, and their, their favorite phrase is $1,500, right? That's it. And I'm like... My car still runs fine, and I've got this stupid light, and I don't understand what's going on. That's what had happened. It's like the check engine light was on, but my life was still functioning. You get it? And God is saying there's a problem with your heart, whether you can sense it, whether you can feel it, whether you can see it. Amen? Now, I, I'm glad to say that over the course of the next year, God corrected the condition of my heart, and now I've been traveling full-time for a couple of years and, and I feel like my heart is in the right direction. See, see, many of you this morning, there are check engine lights 
going off in the condition of your heart. And your job is to pay attention to that and to recognize it. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Doug, you know, I, I really realize as God kind of strips things back this morning that, that you know, you know I, I don't really know how to change. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, I know my heart's bad. I know my motives are bad. I, I mean, I mean if, if God's dealing with you about something like that, you can't even imagine the things he's dealing with me about. Well, I've got good news for you that God is the changer of hearts. Amen. See, at least you know what the problem is. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God's job is to show us the condition of our heart, and then God loves to transform our hearts. Amen? The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you this a promise of scripture. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I, I remember when I was youth pastoring years ago, I had a frustrated mom come walking into my office, and she had her really rebellious teenage son with him, with her. And, and you could just tell he didn't want to be there, and she really hadn't parented him very well. But with an hour in my office, we were going to fix all that. So she comes walking in, and she kept telling me all the bad stuff he was doing. She would say something like this. She'd say he punched his teacher in the face. And then, and then inevitably, she would pat him on the chest, and she'd say, but he's got a good heart. And then she'd say, he stole something from a store and got arrested, but he's got a good heart. Man, he's so disrespectful, but he's got a good heart. She did it like ten times. Finally, I said to her, I said, ma'am, if I can just interrupt you. And I looked at her and I said, actually, he doesn't have a good heart. Actually, that's the problem. And I quoted Jeremiah 17, 9. I pointed at the young man. I said, the human heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? I said, but God can transform your heart. I told him, I said, if you will let God get a hold of your heart, you will have a whole new life. You'll have the life that God meant for you to have. Amen. Maybe you're in the opposite camp today. Maybe you're saying, well, I've been following God out of purity of heart for some time, but it seems like nobody notices. I've been there before. What's it all for? And, and, and why should I do it? Is it worth it? You know, my favorite thing about the story of David is that God took him out of obscurity. God didn't pluck him out of some wealthy family or some privileged position. No, God found him on the backside of Bethlehem in, in lonely shepherd's fields doing the worst job that was available in that day. See, see, whoever God uses, he hides away first. God always pays attention to purity in the midst of obscurity. And if you are saying, man, I'm just lost in Paris, Texas, and I, I'm trying to serve God, but nobody notices. Can I tell you, the eyes of God are searching throughout the whole earth. He's searching all throughout the state of Texas, trying to find somebody whose heart might be devoted to him. God always starts with the heart. God always promotes because of the heart. And make no mistakes, he would never say it. <laughs> but I believe that God chose Gabe and Amanda Miller not because of their giftedness, but because of their hearts. God always starts with the heart. God always continues with the heart. If the blessing of God is going to be on this church, on your life, it's not going to be because you are so awesome and you're the coolest church in town. It will be because of the condition of our hearts. Now, quickly, I want to look at the heart of the hero 
in 1 Samuel 17, we see that this story, and I'm sure you know the background of it, but the Israelites, they are people of the mountains. There's an entire mountain range that runs down the backside of Israel, and it, it is uh, beautiful cities like Bethlehem and Palestine and many other places are there, and, and, and the Israelites are people of the mountains. Well, the Philistines, the enemy where Goliath comes from, they are people of the coast. And there's this huge, vast land separating them. And the enemy, he's got the beaches, he's got the coast. But how many of you know the enemy always wants more, right? If you'll let him, the enemy will take all the territory of your life. And so they cross the, the Great Plains and they show up at a place called the Valley of Elah. The Israelites, they come out of the mountains, they stand on the other side of the valley, and there's going to be a great battle. The enemy is going to take everything he can take. He doesn't just want the coast, he wants the mountains now too. The Bible says that in the midst of this, that a man named Goliath, a giant, he's nine feet tall, just the tip of his spear weighs nine pounds. His shield weighs 125 pounds. He's a monster of a man. He steps out onto the field, and he gives this challenge. He says, hey, there's no need for everybody to die here today. You send out your champion, and I'll fight him. If he wins, we'll serve you. He's lying, but he says it. But if I win, then you have to serve us. And this was pretty common in their day. And the Bible says that the children of Israel were so afraid of Goliath that they would literally run into their tents, and they would quake with fear. These are the warriors. And one day, 40 days into it, Goliath is coming out every day and cussing out their God. He has this defiant attitude. David, the lunch boy, most theologians believe he was about 17. He shows up, and the Bible says that David hears what the giant is saying, and he is shot. And you know the story. He ends up killing the giant. I want to point out three things from the story of David, just very quickly to give you something to take home. Three what I call purity of heart realities from the text of 1 Samuel 17. The first one is this. The first one, all from our story, is that pure hearts must endure attacks. Now note this. If you decide today that you want to walk with God with a purity of heart, there are two forces that will come against you. The first one is to be expected. It is the devil himself. The devil and all of his forces hate it when you decide to get a pure heart. They don't hate it when you dream. They don't hate it when you're brave. They hate it when you submit your heart to God. Because the devil himself knows that the heart is like a bridge that God will use to take you from where you are into everything that God has for you. Now that first attack is to be expected. But the second one is kind of like a sucker punch. The second one is a surprise attack. The second one will come from people that are close to you, but they do not have a pure heart themselves. Something I have discovered is that when you walk with God with a pure heart, people around you that do not have purity of heart, they are always revealed and they are always offended by the purity of your heart. It might even come from within your own church. I've seen that happen many times. In the story of David, it happened from his own family. The Bible says in verse 28 that when Eliab, David's oldest brother, anybody got an older brother? You always care about what your older brother thinks, don't you? David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard him speaking with the men. Listen to this. He wasn't excited, but instead he burned with anger at him. Why? Because Eliab's been hiding in the tents with everybody else. His heart's not pure. 
Have you, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, I'm going to belittle you. You get back to your lowly job. You're not even supposed to be here. Now listen what he says. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Where does he attack him? In the area of his heart. You, you've only come down here to watch the battle. David says, now what have I done? Can I even speak? And I love this. Instead of fighting, he turns away. Everybody say, he turned away. See, see, if you're going to keep the purity of your heart, you've got to learn to turn. Now, now listen. What is going on here is an attack of the purity of David's heart. When the enemy is about to be defeated by your obedience, mark it down. He will send someone to attack your heart. Why? Because David's promotion, David's destiny was waiting for him on the battlefield in the form of Goliath. And on the way, on the way to his destiny, when he kills Goliath, they will start writing songs about him. It will literally usher him into the kingdom of Israel. On the way, Eliab steps in the way and attacks his heart. Now think about this. What if David had engaged Eliab? Minimum, he would have been distracted. Maybe he would have even got bitterness in his heart, which would have taken away the very reason why God was wanting to use him. And perhaps he would have been stopped from going and killing Goliath altogether, which would have cost him his entire destiny. When, when you are about to walk into what God has for you, mark it down. The enemy will send someone to delay, to belittle you, to attack the condition of your heart. But you have to learn to turn. Some of us, we are fighting our Eliabs while our Goliaths are still on the field. Man, you got to learn to turn. Don't fight battles that you're not called to fight. Amen? You know, you know what I do when somebody attacks the condition of my heart? And I know that, man, I seek God every day about my heart. Man, I just turn. I just say, okay, that's not a relationship. Some people are like booster rockets like I talked about last night. And they just run out of gas, and they're supposed to fall off of your life. Amen? And you just got to move on. Second thing I would say is this, is that pure hearts are revealed by patterns. If we are not careful today in the handling of this text, we will we'll make a classic mistake. We will maximize the moment, but we will miss the history. Now, we, now get this, get this. Giant killers are not made in the moment. They are developed by a process. David's heart was not made in a magnificent moment on a battlefield, but David's heart was developed over years and months in a lonely shepherd field. Sheep that he was called by his dad and ultimately by God in that season of his life to take care of. It's interesting to me that when David approaches Saul, all he has is his history. Now, now let me point something out. Giant killers kill giants. If you haven't killed any giants, then I got bad news for you. You are not a giant killer. In other words, you got to be faithful right where you are. Amen? Some of us are saying, well, Pastor, when I get a platform like yours, man, I'll kill some giants. No, no, no. I was killing giants long before anybody knew my name. Understand that? I was killing giants long before anybody gave me a platform. So David walks up to Saul, and what does he have? All he's got is his history. It's like he has been working at McDonald's, and he is applying to be the CEO of Apple. 
and he walks in and he says to him, hey, man, I can flip burgers like nobody's business. I'm telling you right now. Special sauce, I kept it in my pocket. I mean, I'm telling you right now, I am the best that's ever been in my position. And I ran that, and now I'm going to run this. He goes up to Saul and he says, listen, one day when I was taking care of the sheep, a lion came to kill one of my sheep, and I, and I by the Spirit of God, killed the lion. Another day a bear came, and God took over, and I killed the bear. And this dude, he's going to be just like the lion. He's going to be just like the bear. Saul tries to dress him in his own armor. David says, hey, I'm not used to these. In other words, I don't have any history with this. But I'll tell you what I do have history with. It's a little weapon called a rock in a sling. It's what shepherds would carry. It's a formidable weapon. It's actually entire divisions in the army that are called slingers, but shepherds would carry them because it just takes about two feet of strap and just a little pouch of leather. Now, now it's funny because I've been preaching on this story ever since I was young, and I remember one day I'd first gotten saved, and I heard this guy, and he was it was a real like Pentecostal kind of church, and this dude, he was real excited about David and Goliath, and, and he's and he preaching like this, and he said, uh, he said, man, David went down, and he got those five stones from the creek, and, and here's why he did it, because he was going to kill Goliath, and he was going to kill his four brothers, and I thought to myself, man, if I ever preach this story, I'm going to preach it like that, because that's really good, and then I read the Bible, and I found out that's not there. And then, and then the guy, he, he said this, he said, David slung that sling around, and, and the rock came out, and, and God, there was like an angel involved, and the Spirit of God, and, and God guided it, and, and, and it just to kill God. And I was like, man, if I ever preach, I'm going to preach it like that. And then I read the Bible, and I found out it's not there. Can, can I just give you a clue about, about why, why David was so good with this? Because when you are a shepherd, there is nothing to do, Right? Can I tell you? Can, can I tell you why why he picked up five rocks? This might destroy the story for you, but because his pockets were only so big, and if you miss, then you get four more shots. So that's good, right? I guarantee you, David had knocked the knocked the bark off of every tree around that field. He could knock a tin can off your head at a hundred yards. He was good with that weapon. Now get this, get this, get this. It is the weapons you develop in private while no one is watching that God will one day use in public while everybody is watching. God called me to preach and nobody wanted to have me. I used to go into rooms like this and I'd say, hey, can I have a key and can I come in after hours? And I would, I would just preach to the seats because nobody wanted to hear me, but the seats can't run. And man, if a fly came through there, I'd be like, man, thank you, thank you very much. You're, you're, that fly got saved, and you, know, you name it. My brother-in-law, he used to go preach to the cows out in the field. Whenever they move, they say, thank you for that, amen, you know, and stuff. And it's just, you know, you do what you got to do, right? It's the gifts that you develop in private when nobody is watching that God will one day use in public while everybody is watching. If you haven't killed any giants, listen, listen. If they had not killed this giant, the entire army would have taken over the entire nation. It, if you lose the small battles of your life, I promise you, you'll start serving the giants. God wants you to win right where you are. Why is it important for you to be on serve team? Because you've got to kill giants right now. Amen? Why is it important for you to raise your... Because, listen, your family, that's where you first learn to kill giants. Amen? David would go and kill hundreds of Goliaths, but it had to start somewhere, and it didn't start in a public field. It started on the backsides of Bethlehem with a lion and a bear when no one was watching. Finally, the last thing, and I'm done, is that not only the pure hearts have to endure attacks and they're revealed by patterns, but also pure hearts know that motivation matters. I love this so much. David goes out and he confronts the giant, and he says this in verse 46. 
He said, this day, everybody say this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And this very day, I love the aggressiveness. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. <laughs> this is like I'm going to kill you and all of your friends, right? And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And the whole world will know that my dad should have never put me in that field. Is that what he said? The whole world will know that I might be the youngest and the smallest, but I'm important. That's not what he said. The whole world will know that my brother should have never talked to me that way. That's not what he said. The whole world will know that I'm supposed to be king. The whole world will know that there is a God. And he is present in Israel. In other words, in other words, it's, 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 people, people with a pure heart, they want to glorify God. People with an impure heart, they want to glorify themselves. So where are you at this morning? You, you, know, you know why God cares so much about the purity of your heart? Because your heart is where the battle for God's glory takes place. My story is not for my glory. My story is for His glory. Amen? And, and, and I can tell you, it took me a long time to get that straight. I got some gifts, but they're not for my glory. They're for His. Amen? You get that straight, and there is no limit to what God might do in your heart and through your life. So where are you at today? Pastor Doug, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm walking in obscurity, and I'm not sure that God even notices my faithfulness. Can I get some good news for you? God always, God always pays attention to purity in the midst of obscurity. Maybe some of you are here today and you say, say, I keep trying to move ahead like with my calling and my destiny and my business and I, I, I want, like we talked about last night, I want to go deep so that God can go high in my life and, but, I, but I keep, it just something always gets in the way. I always feel like the timing's off. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you keep on being defeated by the condition of your heart because when God calls a person, God always starts with the heart. And when you try to get around that, when you try to get around the condition of your heart and get into your promotion too early, well, then you're denying the process of God. No, no, no. God always starts with the heart. And the heart's a mystery. The heart's a monster. The heart's a deep cave. But the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to you and to God the condition of your heart. And then God knows how to change hearts. Amen? Hmm. Had a strange moment this summer. Uh, right after the story, the band can come. But I had a strange moment this summer. I, I think I think I told Pastor Gabe about it. But I, I travel 50 to 60 days over the months of June, July, and August with all the teams we do. And and uh, just before I was to leave uh, for Jamaica, where you guys will be going next year, I was going to be there for 15 days with three different teams, and we we're going to build a church and a number of things. And I started noticing this weird feeling in my chest every time I would exert myself. Now, I, 
I, I know I'm extremely good looking, but I am 50 years old. I just turned 50. I know it's hard to believe, but I mean, it's there. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm not really overweight. And I, and I thought, you know, man, I, this can't be happening. I, I just thought it's got to be indigestion or something like that. And dummy, I, I, I got my bags and I, I headed on a plane to a foreign country. Well, I got there and started noticing that even getting my bags off the carousel, I would get this kind of pain in my chest and it would go down my arms and, and up, even up into my chin. And it was just, it sit me down. By the third day, I couldn't climb up a set of stairs without having to rest. So finally, I called the leaders around me, and I said, hey, you guys are more than capable of leading this stuff without me. And I, I, I called my wife, and I said, change my ticket. I'll, I'll submit to the whole deal. She had been begging me for days. I said, wheelchair service through the airport, everything. I'm doing that forever, by the way. <laughs> awesome. Skip all the lines. Somebody just takes you around. It's, it's amazing. So every time I get to the airport, I'm like, oh, man, my heart's, you know. Anyway, I made it through and got home. And I can still remember the night before I went to the hospital. I got home that afternoon, had to sleep overnight. I couldn't walk up the stairs to my own bedroom. So I have a friend that's a CEO of a hospital in Kansas City. I called him. I said, I don't want to go to an emergency room or anything. Can you just, the next morning, I was sitting in the top cardiologist of his hospital's office. The guy, the guy talked to me for three minutes, and he said, there's something wrong with your heart. And here's where he scared me. He said, if I give you a stress test, it will kill you. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, come on, man, I am invincible. You don't get it. Well, they put me on a table. They ran wires up through my arm, and they found that my heart was, my, my right artery was 99% blocked. They said, the rest of your heart looks perfect. We don't understand it. He also told me it's genetics. He said you could eat salad three times a day and you would still have high cholesterol. Now, the way I look at it is God has broken every other curse in my family. I just didn't know about this one. Amen. <laughs> well, they put, they put a, a device in, in my heart, a stent, and, and it opened up my heart. And, and two weeks later, I'm in Belize and doing the rest of my summer schedule. But I can tell you from personal experience, first off, I shouldn't be alive. I mean, oh, praise God. Amen. But I can tell you from personal experience that if there is something wrong with your heart, you're not doing anything, baby. You're not going to live your destiny. You're not going to be the dad you're supposed to be. You're not going to be the pastor you're supposed to be. You're not going to be the leader you're supposed to be. You're not going to be any of it. If there's something wrong with your heart, you've got to stop everything, right? And you've got to deal with your heart. Man can go ahead and come. Uh, whenever... Uh, Whenever I, I study the Bible and I look at the condition of people's hearts and I look at what God says about the heart, I always go back to the words of Jesus. Everybody still with me? I'm almost done. Probably the best thing ever said about anybody when it comes to the area of the heart came from Jesus himself. Jesus said, the pure in heart, anybody want to finish it for me? They will see God. Now, when I first read that, I thought to myself, very elementary, I thought, if you have a purity of heart, then you get a bigger revelation of God. And I believe that that's, what it, that's part of what it means, that when you're pure of heart, God shows you more of himself. But the Lord showed me one day that I wasn't getting the whole story. See, a few years ago, I needed to go and see a doctor for something I was going through, and I asked my wife, I said, I said would you book me, would you, would, I need to see, I need to see a doctor. Well, she didn't get out her computer and show me pictures of doctors because that would have just been mean, right? Instead, she did what? She, she booked me an appointment, 
and I went and I saw a doctor. I was in his presence. I took advantage of all his gifts, of everything he had to offer me, and, and my life got better because of it. Now, now listen, when you're pure of heart, here's the deal. You get a bigger revelation of God, yes, but also those that are pure in heart, they get to be in God's presence more often. And when you are in God's presence, here's what's awesome about God's presence. Everything is possible. When you're in my presence, a few things are possible. <laughs> you know, I know how to drive. I can give you a hug. You know, I got a little money. You know, I could hook you up. <laughs> There's really, it's pretty limited. But when I'm in his presence, amen, everything is possible. So why do I want the condition of my heart to be right? Because I want to be in his presence more often. Amen. I want to have a bigger revelation of him. I want to cross the bridge into everything God has for me. And I know from experience that if something is wrong with my heart, I can't do any of it. So good news today is God knows how to correct our hearts. I want you to stand to your feet all throughout the church this morning. According to my clock, I'm down to about four minutes. <laughs> So we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to do some transformative work. How many believe that just in a moment God can do something in our hearts? No, no heads bowed, no eyes closed. I think, I think sometimes that adds <laughs> to the negative side of this. Every head up, every eye open. How many of you just say, God has some work to do on my heart? Amen. I need to submit my heart to him. Man, I want him to go into every cave, every cavern, every little hidden passage. I want to know my heart. I want the Holy Spirit to correct my heart. Amen? Amen? Who's with me? Listen, good news today is that when it comes to the heart, it always begins with our relationship with God, right? And so, so I want to give my heart fully to him. Now, 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 if you're a Christian, let's, let's make this our prayer because we want God to have control of our hearts. If you're not a Christian, this is where it all begins. Amen. Right. We used to say back in the day when somebody's getting saved, what they're doing is they're giving their heart to Jesus. That's where it starts. Amen. You give him your heart and he will transform your life. I'm telling you, I'm a nobody from nowhere. There's a book called the 50 worst places to live. I lived in number 26. My dad was a welder in a steel mill. First Christian in my family, no self-worth, tried to kill myself at the age of 16. I've been all over the world. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and going to Africa to preach. If God can do it with me, he can do it with you. Amen? But God always starts with the heart. So Father, right now, transform our hearts. Come on, pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, today I believe you died on a cross. You rose from the dead. So my heart could be transformed. My heart has many problems. My heart is wicked. And I don't know it. But you do. So transform it. Purify it. Forgive me. Transform my life. In Jesus mighty name. Man, now, Father, I pray over the church today, and I pray that you systematically by your spirit would do correction in the areas of our hearts. Like we talked about last night in the leadership team, you would cause us to go deep in this area of transformation so that you can take this church to every place you want to take it. And we believe you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.